Looks like y'all had a good morning already. So hopefully we'll have some more good time in the world. I, got, I snuck out of the house today. Sure didn't get to see me. I put on a t-shirt. I figured if, figured if I wore khakis, I'd wear a t-shirt, right? I mean, you got that offset jeans and a collar shirt. But this is, my, this is my brother-in-law's shirt. It's called N1. And on the back, it's got fishing, hunting, and getting in the woods, which is his passion. But I grew up in a, a ball family. We shoot them, we kick them, we catch them. That's what we do. But we got uh, my, my little sister married this guy named Giles. He, he just started this, this company because I've watched him. His passion, his passion is about being in the woods one way or another. So he calls it in one because you put a hook in one, you put a bullet in one, you put a bow in one. So if you see, I don't know if you caught it, but on the back, there's this arrow. It's, there's an arrow in it. There's a pond in it. It's got, it captures all of his path. He knows Jesus but, uh, and, and loves Jesus, but he, love, he loves to hunt. Um, what shocked me about Giles, because I ain't know this, because I grew up in a ball family, was the work that it takes to go hunt. I mean, he's got like this dedicated spot in his basement where his washing machine is for his hunting clothes. Because... Because for some reason, like he put some junk in, I, I'm not even going to embarrass myself by trying to explain what he does to kill a deer. But then to talk to him and hear about the precision and the work that he does to get in the right spot to get the kill shot, it's just it's, it's unbelievable. He, we uh we rented this house, this house on a bunch of acreage in the upstate for a while, and so Giles wanted to come hunt on. You couldn't hunt with a gun, so you had a bow hunt. And he would work for days just to get his spot right. And then he, then he actually would wait and wait and pass on deer. I mean, I'd shoot the first thing that came out if it was me, you know what I mean? And shoot him wherever I could hit him. But you got to hit him just right so he won't run too far. I, I, I was clueless. One, one morning he comes up to the house. He's huffing and puffing because he shot for South Carolina a huge buck. And the buck, he hit him perfect and he didn't run far, but he did run down to the creek. And he died in the creek. Uh, is this grossing y'all out? No, this ain't grossing y'all out. Uh, and so he needed help. I had to go to work, and he needed to go to work. Some of you guys don't lose your job because you killed a deer. But anyway, uh, he had to get my boys. Uh, I think Elijah went down and helped him drag it out because it was just so heavy. He couldn't get it up out of the creek. It's this, this amazing, almost like love affair that hunters have with this whole activity, which causes them to like do this detailed coordinated you know sometimes we make that seem like throwback like like uh it doesn't take a whole lot of intelligence to hunt you talk about a detailed coordinated especially you bow hunters it's unbelievable the amount of how close you have to be to get it done it's impressive in order to get that death blow and execute it perfectly we're about to see the god of the universe coordinate a detailed plan to give the enemy a death blow. And he's, he's going he's gonna to lay it out for you piece by piece by piece. And I hope you feel it because he wanted to kill the enemy so he could save you. Last night, uh, I watched Emma with my wife. All right? I did not watch it alone, just so you know. So I, like, that's like half of a man card, right? Like if you watch it alone, <laughs> that's a whole nother level. I ain't never watched Emma alone. Let me give you another half of my half a man card is left. This is the third version of Emma I've seen. 
And I'm going to tell you now, Cheryl, like, I don't know what these writers do and actors do, but at least seven times during the movie, she reaches over and grabs my arm. And she goes, oh. I'm still working on how to respond because it usually scares me because I missed it. I'm like, easy here, man. But I, look, I smile because that's, that's kind of like what you do. You kind of participate in the movie. Say, are you watching this? I'm like, yeah, I'm in, baby. I'm in. I, I'm in. Truth be known, and I, I put it, I, I actually starting to enjoy these things. I mean, the amount of work these rascals do to, to build this story with no killing in it, you know, like, the, to, to keep your attention and try to grab you with the plot. It, it's amazing, though, the work, the detailed, coordinated effort to move my wife's emotions. So they can make some cash, right? So they can make some money. And really, like the art, the true artist, it's not even about making money. It's about connecting with an audience. And so they, they work to all the way to great lengths to get a couple tears. Every once in a while, I'll be watching a movie, trying to stay into it. And I look over, she'll have a little tear coming down her eye. And then, you know, a couple of them movies, they'll like get multiple tears because then like it's overwhelming. I, I feel like that way in Braveheart. <laughs> but anyway, uh, <laughs> Uh, it's, it's, it's amazing to see an artist at work and, and do what they want to do, which is to move the audience or move a person. It's what, that's what God's going to do right here. I hope you see it. We're going to read a, a bunch of verses. And today, what I like to do is I like for you to be outside of the story. We're going to be outside. I want you to see how detailed and coordinated this story is because Jesus is in love with you, and he won't have it go any other way. And, and then next week, I want to read the same story. We'll go a little further, but the same story, and I want, we're going to go inside the story, and we're going to capture how Jesus felt and how, and, and hopefully we'll, we'll connect to his feelings. But this week, I just want you to see the details of a God in love with his people. Let me pray. Jesus, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be in our room. I know many of these folks know you, Lord. They, they know you, uh, and some of them have known you for years. And so, as a matter of fact, we're thankful that the Holy Spirit dwells within us. A lot of us have uh, hardened our hearts over the years, or portions of our hearts, and we don't allow you the access that we once did. I pray even as we read your word today, Jesus, that your spirit would chip away at those hard parts and you would, you would soften our hearts again, and you'd uh, give us some of that joy that we once experienced in worshiping you. Some in the room, Lord, just don't know you yet, and I'm thrilled they're here. I know you are. And I pray, Lord, as we read this story and they see how dedicated you were to communicating your love for mankind, that you would, you would break through and you'd explain yourself. Some of them, I'm sure, are cynical, and I don't blame them from some of the stuff they see around. But I pray you'd break through and you'd build trust. And that they believe. I pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Got a lot of reading to do today. So if you'll, I'm going to have my head down a little bit today. If you'll track with me, I'll read a little bit, talk a little bit. It's kind of our play here if you're new. This is uh, John chapter 18. Last week we uh, saw Jesus be denied by his disciples. It was painful. We saw Judas betray Jesus. And uh, then he went to trial with the high priest, and now he has been taken to be on trial before the Roman leader, uh, Pilate. Let's pick it up in verse 28, chapter 18, verse 28 of uh, John. Jesus' trial before Caiaphas, 
the high priest, ended in the early hours of the morning. Very normal in their days to try people early in the morning. A lot of times the judges would actually close shop about, about lunchtime. And he was taken to the headquarters of the Roman governor, and his accusers didn't go inside because it would defile them, and they wouldn't be allowed to celebrate the Passover. So Pilate, the governor, went out to, to meet them. He met them in the colonnade and asked, what is your charge against this man? They're offended. They hate this guy. He's the Roman governor. They're the Jewish elite. We wouldn't, have, we wouldn't have handed him over to you if he weren't a criminal, they retorted. Then take him away and judge him by your own. Pilate hated them as much as they hated him. They both were hungry for power. Only the Romans are permitted to execute someone, the Jewish leaders replied. And this fulfilled Jesus' prediction of the way he would die. I hope you caught a little bit of that. There's this deep tension between the Jews and their rulers, the Romans, and it's, it's right there in the passage. But I, what I think is amazing as I read the passage is that you got these guys lying about Jesus with murderous lies. So they want Jesus dead, and they will lie to get him dead, but they won't go in a Gentile's house and break the law. Stupid. Stupid. They're they're vile and filthy in their hearts, but they still keep the rules. You heard of this. I'm going to not give him a description. This this pastor from Topeka, where my wife's from, dude's named Fred Phelps, Westboro Baptist Church. They go and boycott funerals of servicemen, filthy, vile people. But they still keep the rule. They're doing this right now. But somehow, they do not equate their heart with following Jesus. They just think keeping the rules. And I don't even know where they get this garbage that they execute. But the bikers, all these dudes that may not even know God, they're going to come and they'll rev up their engines so that you can't hear these, these knuckleheads. I'm just being nice today. I got other words in my mind. What kind of self-righteousness is that that drives people to hold themselves so high that you could curse somebody else and still keep the rules? Those are extreme, but uh, I imagine we could relate if we tried, right? Have you ever sat at the ball game and looked around and looked at whose parents weren't there and you felt self-righteous because you were always there? They might have a job, and they might be working right now, and you want to call them bad parents because they work to pay the bills for their kids. What kind of idiocy is that? That's self-righteous. It's ugly. Sometimes if you grew up in church, and a lot of y'all knew the church, some of y'all grew up in church, you know what's happening right now. People are saying, what's that dude up there with a the T-shirt on for, right? Because you can't wear it. Here, you can wear a T-shirt. I wore khakis. I'm dressed up today. I'm going to go ahead and tell you. But, <clears throat> but we somehow equate a collar with righteousness. And because I wore a collar, I can stand up high. This was hilarious to me because I've been leading churches like this for 20 years. Then all of a sudden we get proud because we wear blue jeans. And we make fun of the dude wearing the khakis and the tie. I'm like, wait a minute. We just want to be relaxed, but that don't mean that he's wrong. Now you self-righteous because you sloppy. I mean, what in the world? 
It's so dangerous and it sneaks in on us. And I just want you to see it right here. It's ugly and we all need to be aware. And as a community, as a body, we have to fight it with all we got. We cannot allow that garbage to sneak in among us. Well, the next thing you know, we'll be proud that we didn't go in the Gentile's house while we're killing somebody. And so verse 32, this conversation continues and it's uh, interesting. Actually, I want to just catch the end of that, that last verse. I lost it. Uh, verse 30, uh, Pilate went back into, uh, I lost. Uh, this says, John says in verse 32, this fulfilled Jesus' prediction about the way he would die. It's in parentheses uh, in the NLT. And I, I want you to catch, John's writing this story down because he wants you to hear the story about how Jesus died. But then he's like, he, I want y'all to catch this. John's writing. And you know how when you're trying to explain something to your kids, catch this. Cheryl be watching a movie, interrupts the movie to, so we'll catch it. Baby, I got it, baby. Just let me watch it. But she, she wants you to catch it. She puts a little parenthesis in there. Watch this part. Watch this part. Let me tell you why. And, and John's like, you got to see this. This fulfilled Jesus' prediction about the way he would die. Boy, I, I hope you get this. I got chill bumps. Jesus hits every detailed mark so that you would believe. So this thing happened. He got transferred from the Jews to the Romans so that he could be crucified. He wanted to be crucified because he's in love with you. It had to go just so he wanted you to see this love letter that he has written. He wanted to see you. He wanted you to see the detailed effort that he went to. To die for you. This ain't born walking in because he's trained. He just flexes with whatever situation and gets it all done. This is a, a detailed, coordinated effort, a love letter to mankind so that you believe. Let me show you. You ever had that gym teacher made you like count everything that ever happened in class? Eventually, like you hate him because he's, he counts to 10. Every exercise, yeah, one, two. I'm going to make y'all count today because I think it'd just be good for us. 17 times we're going to count. I don't know if you knew this, but last week when Judas betrayed Jesus, it fulfilled a prophecy in Psalm chapter 4, verse 9, so that you would believe. One. Psalm 35, Jesus is falsely accused. Has he been falsely accused yet? He's been lied about. Falsely accused. Psalm 35 said that the Messiah would be falsely accused. Two. Numbers chapter 21 anticipated this day that a savior would hang on a post so that folks could look to him and believe and be saved. John chapter 3 then, Jesus re re remembers that with Nicodemus and he reminds him of this moment when there's this fake serpent put up on a post and it saves the Israelites from being bit by, by snakes. It's this crazy story, but it went down so that it would point to a day where Jesus would be on a cross. Later in John, it says that he had to be raised up. John chapter 12, and it's all going down right here so that you could see how much God loves you. He's writing this love letter and he's hitting every mark. Three. He had to be lifted up. Psalm chapter 35, verse 19. We've already felt this. He was hated without cause. There was no reason for these folks to hate him, but they hate him with everything they want. What you're going to see here in just a minute is Pilate and the people he hates, the Pharisees, they're going to agree to kill Jesus because one thing they couldn't give up was control. Might be your problem. You can't give up control. 
So you don't know what to do with Jesus. Because he says, you can't have control if you're going to follow me. I got to have control. So Pilate didn't want to give up control, and the Pharisees didn't want to give up control, so they hated him without cause. Psalm 35, Psalm 69, 4. I read on. Verse uh, 34. Jesus replied, this is a crazy little inner, this little dialogue between Pilate. Let me back up to 33. And Pilate went back into his headquarters and he called for Jesus to be brought to him. And he said, are you the king of the Jews? <laughs> crazy question. And Jesus replied, is this your own question? Or did they tell you about me? This is really cool. I want you to hear me. Jesus, in the midst of being falsely accused, cares about Pilate. He don't care about politics. He cares about a person. In the moment when he's being accused, falsely accused, he don't care about what, who's what. He wants to know, is Pilate from his heart asking this question? Is, it, is this your own question or did they tell you about me? Like you just repeating their question. Good, good thing to remember for the next few months, right, as we go into the election. Make sure you're always about people and not politics. We can talk about politics. This, this is a right place to do it. But if you ever get higher on politics than you are on people, if you hate people because of their politics, you think Jesus hung on the cross for Democrats or Republicans or Americans or white people or black people or Hispanic people? Jesus hung on the cross. He's going to put together 17 prophecies here in a minute. Who do you think he's dying for? You think he's worried about American politics? America don't even exist yet. England ain't even been here. We ain't even got to fight England yet because England ain't here yet. He loves people. And you can feel it right here. It, it, it had, you wonder what would happen if Pilate had said, yeah, man, I'm trying to figure you out. They'd had this crazy discussion, but it couldn't be because Jesus was on a mission. Pilate's, he's offended. He says, am I a Jew? He's a racist is what he is. He thinks the Romans are what are all that life's about. He said, am I too? Pilate, retor uh, Pilate retorted, your own people and their leading priests brought you to me for trial. Why? What have you done? I don't know if you catch it right here, but you can feel it. Uh, Jesus' own people, the Jews, his own people have turned him in. They betrayed him. You know, in Braveheart, at the very end, when his own people have turned it in, you look, at, you look at William Wallace and you can see the pain on his face. I mean, he's the bravest, the baddest dude on the planet. He's been fighting for his people, right? And then they betray him because they, they, they just love themselves more than they love the cause. Jesus feeling that, here I am. I offered you all you've ever dreamed of as Jews. And they betrayed him. Jesus has this amazing, I've never really read these verses closely. You need to take it home and read it more. I don't have time to comment on a lot, but read 36 and 37 with me. My kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. And what Pilate doesn't know is it's not just Peter, James, and John, the fishermen that could come fight with their little dagger with no accuracy, but some angels from heaven would come down and it would be over in a hurry. There will be no fight. But my kingdom is not of this world. It's this amazing statement where Jesus simplifies 
his politics. My politics are not about this world. They're about another world, a fourth dimension that overwhelms everything else. And Pilate says, so you're a king? Pilate missing it. He's just missing it like a lot of us do. And Jesus answered. I, there's another translation, NLT. I don't like what it says. It says, you say I'm a king, but if you, if you read the other translation, that's NASB or ESV, it says, you are right in saying that I am a king. Yeah, you're right. Are you a king? Yeah, boy, I'm, I'm a king. King, you ain't figured it out yet. Have you heard the way I talk? I act like I own the place because I created it. And Pilate's going, so are you, a, are you a king, buddy? And he's like, yeah, just what you said. I'm, a, I'm the king. And then he goes on. I love it. I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. Yeah, I was born to be the king. We could go back through prophecy. We go back to the beginning of Matthew or Luke and just see this lineage where he's the Jewish king because he comes from the line of David. But he's more than that. He's king of a kingdom beyond this world. And he's landing that. I don't know if you knew this, but Psalm chapter 2, verse 6, Zechariah 9, 9, says that the Messiah will be called the king. Five. Check this response out from Pilate. Jesus says, all who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. So let me ask you something. Do you love the truth? You love the truth? You love it when somebody, come on now, you love it when somebody tells you the truth? I love it when somebody tells me something's on my chin. I'm going to go ahead and tell you. If I'm eating with you, because I can't feel in my chin, I'm not really sure why. It might be a male thing. Every time we eat, you're like, you, 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 got, you got something. I like that, because otherwise I'm going to walk out the door and you're going to be like, look at that mug. Tell me the truth. I like it. Don't hurt my feelings. But sometimes that woman that sleeps in my bed tells me other truths. And I don't always feel it. You know, like today, I don't want to hear the truth today. Save that for tomorrow. I'm not ready for that. How's this thing work for you? The truth. Right, there have been seasons in my life where I read this and I cannot get enough of the truth. And there's other seasons in my life where it's just discipline to read it. And I kind of do it. And there's other seasons in my life where I don't want to read it. Not because it's boring or I don't get it because I don't want to hear what it has to say. I'm afraid of what it might do to me. It might tell me something that I don't want to hear. It's the truth. Jesus says that he, <laughs> all who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. It's funny. He's saying this to Pilate. He's, he's giving him this indicator as to who he is. And, and he's basically saying, hey, if you believe, then if you love the truth, then you're going to connect with me because everything I ever said is true. Pilate has this classic answer. And some of y'all are going to do this today. It happens every Sunday. Pilate says, what's the truth? What is truth? He asks a strong question. It happens. I don't know if it's happening as hard or if it's just intellectual. But he just, it finally, Jesus has been talking. He's been with this guy and it, it connects. He says, what is truth? Check out what he does. And then he went out again. You ever notice that before? What is truth? But then he went out again, and TV came on. He got in the car. He ate lunch. He went out to the people and told them he went on with his day. He went on with his trial, and he missed it. The truth was right there in front of him, and he just he missed it. Don't walk out of here, man. Stay in here. Talk with somebody. The truth, if you, you asking hard, even if you're cynical and you don't believe, then, then challenge what I'm saying. Do it. 
but don't just walk away from it. It's crazy. Pilate hears this, and then he walks out in front of the Jews, and he says, he makes this statement. It's, it's this amazing statement. He says, he is not guilty of any crime. He, he pronounces his innocence. At a wedding, I always pronounce a, a, a man and a woman. I pronounce them as a new couple. But he goes out in front of everybody and says it to the world so that we have it recorded on a page. Jesus is innocent. What's that do for you? Does that remind you of anything? Some of y'all that know your Bible pretty well. Jesus is, uh, he's 33 or thereabouts. He's prime time. Prime time Jewish male. You know what they did in the Old Testament? Exodus chapter 12. They sacrificed the Passover lamb. In reality, this is going to go down in two days. Passover is just two and a half days away. Passover is about to come for the Jewish people. And Pilate, he is out knowing it, just being, just being spiteful. He's going to say he's innocent. And he is saying to an effect, he is a lamb without blemish. What's the Passover lamb? A male lamb at the prime of his life without blemish. That's what you were supposed to sacrifice for your sins. <laughs> and here's Jesus, the lamb of God. What I'm talking about. The lamb of God. Working his way to be sacrificed for mankind. And Pilate's announcing it to everybody. It's craziness. It's beautiful. It's coordinated. It's unbelievable. And then even Pilate would say, would you like me to release the king of the Jews? He calls him the king. And they shouted back, no, not this man. We want Barabbas. They hated Barabbas. Barabbas was a zealot. The, the religious folks hated the zealots. They didn't want to be associated with the zealots. A lot of folks would say, but there's an old movie in like the 70s about this big monster Barabbas. And he, he, he would, you know, he'd fight people. He was a brawler and, the, and they wanted to be so separate from him, but, but they hated Jesus enough. That they want to crucify Jesus. Then Pilate had Jesus flogged with a lead tip whip. And the soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put a purple robe on him and they said, Hail the king of the Jews. They're mocking him. They're having fun. <laughs> They're fulfilling prophecy. As God writes his love letter to you. And they mocked as they slapped him across the face. This crazy moment where a bunch of men have their testosterone rate and they're laughing at one another. I imagine there's a little alcohol flowing and at the same time they're fulfilling Isaiah 50 and they spat on him and they struck him. Isaiah 50 verse 6. They put a crown of thorns on. They had no idea. They put this crown to mock him as the king. But they connected him to the thorns in Genesis 3 that never existed before sin. And they connected the curse of thorns with the curse of a savior. And they mocked him as a curse and a king. What I'm talking about. A bunch of dudes just carrying on having fun down at the local bar beating the hound out of somebody and fulfilling prophecy because they were not in control. Because God was writing you a letter and he was coordinating and executing a strike that he had planned for hundreds and even thousands of years. That passage in Exodus was written 1,400 years before Jesus ever came into being. A lot of these prophecies are from Psalms. They were written 1,000 years before. Isaiah's got multiple prophecies that we'll read. And they were written 700 years before. And Zechariah, the God, he was 500 years before. Our country ain't even 300, 100 years old. 
And yet these men and these folks were pointing the people of the world toward this day. Pilate went outside again and said to the people, I'm going to bring him out to you and now, now, but understand clearly that I find him not guilty. And Jesus came out wearing a crown of thorns and a purple robe. And Pilate said, look, here's the man. He's hoping just in the moment that these people have a moment of sanity and see that this guy has been beaten. It's like Pilate wants to get himself away from the moment. <laughs> you know how they respond? The leading priests and the temple guards began to shout, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate, in anger, hollers back, take him yourselves and crucify him. I find him not guilty. And the Jewish leaders reply, by our law, we ought to, by our law, he ought to die because he's called himself the son of God. And when Pilate heard this, he was more than frightened than ever. What's that about? Well, I'm going to tell you one thing. It's Passover, right? So there are hundreds and thousands of Jews coming to Jerusalem. And that's where Pilate, he's over them as the Roman leader, but he also knows chaos. Can so I don't know if he's afraid of the Jews or he's been sitting with Jesus. That's right. He's been sitting with Jesus. And he keeps on hearing this man own the whole thing. And he's just afraid to kill God. I'm not sure. But one of them is right there. He took Jesus back into the headquarters, and again he asked him, where are you from? What does it say? But Jesus gave no answer. Why don't you talk to me? Pilate demanded, don't you realize that I have the power to release you and to crucify you? It's this moment of just silence as Jesus stands before his accusers. That ring true to you, any of you? Maybe know the Bible a little bit. Isaiah 53, 7. Said he'd be silent before his accusers. I don't know if you've noticed it, but everything Jesus said, none of it is in defense of himself. He's not trying to get out of this. He's silent before his accusers. Like a lamb being led to the slaughter, says the scripture. Pilate continues to work him, and Jesus finally answers in verse 11. You would have no power over me at all unless it were given to you from above. It's it's this amazing moment where we feel that God is orchestrating the death of his own son. So that the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin, as he points to his Jewish brethren. And Pilate tried to release him, but the Jewish leader shouted, If you release this man, you are a friend. You are not a friend of Caesar. Anyone who declares himself a king is a rebel against Caesar. And they, they're trying to manipulate him for, for all their worth. Goes on. You know the story. Pilate brought Jesus out to them and Pilate sat down to the judgment seat. And it was now about noon of the day of preparation for Passover. And Pilate said to the people, look, here's your king. He's sick of them. Away with them, they yelled. Away with them, crucify him. What, crucify your king? He's mocking them. We have no king but Caesar. You talk about folks who hate Caesar, who hate the Roman Empire, hate everything about them. They're as racist as the Romans are. Now they want somebody else to be king just so Jesus can. And Pilate turned Jesus over to them to be crucified. Check this out. So they took Jesus away. Carrying the cross by himself, he went to a place called the place of the skull. 
in Hebrew called Golgotha. There's this little hill, and actually a lot of folks believe that the rocks in it made it look like a skull. And so Jesus carrying his cross, a lot of folks just feel like he carried the crossbar. It doesn't, doesn't matter, but a lot of scholars think he just carried the crossbar, and he has to carry it through the town up, up this hill. That remind you of anything in the Old Testament? You remember another guy who had to go up a hill to be sacrificed? His name was Isaac. He was the son of Abraham, the father of all Israel. The first time I read that story, I'm like, what is wrong with my God? That he would send this godly, great father who only has one son. Why would he send he, him out to sacrifices to kill his son? You remember what Abraham does before they go up the hill? He makes his son gather up the firewood that they're going to burn him on. And Isaac carries the wood up the hill. You think, and then if you know the story, God provides a lamb and they sacrifice a lamb instead of Isaac. He wasn't out to get Abraham. He was out to get you. He's trying to get you. In Genesis 14, 15, 1600 years before Jesus ever came to the earth, God is orchestrating a story with Abraham so that you would understand that your Savior was going to be sacrificed and would carry his own wood up the hill. Because he loved you. Because he wanted you to read this letter for the first time. He wanted to see, he wanted you to see all the work that went into this letter. Because he just loves you that much. The list goes on. I don't have time to hit it all. He was taken out of the city. I don't know if you remember this, but in, in, uh, in Leviticus, they always took the sin offering out of the camp. He was crucified with criminals, Isaiah 53, 12. That's the 12th thing he's done. He was nailed to the cross. His hands and his feet would be pierced, Psalm 22 says. The soldiers divided his clothes, Psalm 22 alludes to that as well. He was given vinegar to drink as he hung on the cross. Psalm 69 predicted that the Messiah would be given vinegar to drink as he suffered. His bones would not be broken as we, uh, as we saw earlier when the Romans came to break his bones to expedite his death so that he would die quicker. He was already dead so they didn't break his legs like they should have. Exodus 12 alluded to and so did Psalm 34. So, so what he's doing is he's trying for you to get it. Like he wants you to get how much he loves you. In the detail, every, I would thank every woman because I know the woman that's mine over here loves it when effort is made. When I do something uh, a bit romantic, she loves the effort as much as the cost. And Jesus, God the Father, the Holy Spirit, for mankind want you to understand they're serious about this love for you. So they line them up. Let me read these last verses. The death of Jesus. We'll visit this again next week. It'll be a clear gospel week. If you've got a friend, you want them to hear it, we're going to tell it. Verse 31. I've skipped a bunch of stuff we'll catch next week. It was the day of preparation, and the Jewish leaders didn't want, their body, uh, didn't want the bodies hanging uh, there the next day, which, which was the Sabbath, and a very special Sabbath because it was the Passover. So they asked Pilate to hasten their deaths, ordering that their legs be broken and their bodies could be taken down. So the soldiers came and they broke the legs of the two men crucified with Jesus. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead and they didn't break his legs. And one of the soldiers, however, pierced his side 
with a spear, and immediately blood and water flowed out. Zechariah 12.10 anticipated, predicted, prophesied that Jesus would be pierced, that his side would be pierced. And, and here's parentheses again. John goes parentheses again. The blood and the water flowed out, and John goes parentheses. This report is from an eyewitness giving an accurate account. He speaks the truth so that you also will believe so that you believe I'm lining all this stuff up because I want you to believe these things happen. Verse 36, these things happen in order to fulfill the scriptures that say not one of his bones will be broken and that he will look on on the one that they pierced. So I don't know if you remember what this book's all about, but this book is all about believing. And so John is simply trying to make a story. I imagine he smiles sometimes as he lines up the facts. He just captures Zechariah again in a minute. A rich guy is going to come bury Jesus, which was predicted in the Old Testament as well. He'd be buried with the rich. He just lines them up and they just keep on coming. One guy writes that there's 44 prophecies fulfilled just, just in the, the Gospels. He lines up all the details because he wants you to believe. He wants you to believe because he loves you. Because if you believe, then he can take this death, which he's about, which we're about to celebrate. We do it every Sunday. And he can make you clean. And he can have a relationship with you because he loves you. Maybe you've known Jesus a long time. You're like, bro, I believe. I've been believing. Well, then worship. You just saw a God who doesn't need you, go to the nth in detail so that you would know without a shadow of a doubt that he loves you. Some of y'all came in today and your week or your month or your year or your life you're embarrassed about. You think he did all that? You think he went through all that and he's unwilling to give it to you now because of what you did or who you are? He went through all that knowing what you were going to do. As a matter of fact, he went to the cross at the end because of what you are. So today, show him that you believe. There's bread and juice up here. We do this every Sunday here. And uh, it's just this moment to take a piece of bread and remember that broken body of Jesus. It's the weirdest ceremony perhaps in the world because we celebrated death. We celebrate Jesus' broken body. And then we actually, we, we, we remember his blood. How morbid can you be? We remember his blood that was poured out. We remember it because he conquered death on our behalf, because he loved it, because it demonstrated his love for us. Now, we all know how the story ends. We ain't got there yet. We'll get there. He's going to rise from the dead and show that he dominates. But today, we're going to celebrate. It's a time to sing and celebrate, but it's also a time to remember his sacrifice because it shows you how much he loves you. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me that much. <laughs> you know, Lord, I'm not the most... I don't always get all the cues that are out there, all the social cues. Sometimes I miss it when somebody's even trying to show me that they love me. And sometimes I, I miss moments when it's really clear. But I'm thankful that you reached out to me and you made it so clear that I believed. 
then I am thankful as an older guy in a room or middle age, whatever I am, that you just keep on chasing me. And that even this week, as I read through this passage again, a story that I know inside and out, you reminded me how much you love me, how much you wanted to know me. I pray you communicate that to all of us in this room, every single person. And that with joy here in a minute, they could sing, they sing these songs they're going to be led to and they could call you great. There's probably somebody in here that doesn't know you, maybe more than one. I hope, Lord, that they feel, they feel drawn to you. Pray your spirit would explain this to them if it was confusing. Help them take a step even today to speak to somebody, tell somebody, and believe. Listen to us now as we worship. Amen. Amen.